The Bible's final book of Revelation has long been a source of mystery to Christians across the ages. Preachers sometimes shy away from it. The differences among whole denominations and theological traditions sometimes center in large part on different interpretations of Revelation. When the great theologian John Calvin wrote commentaries on the books of the New Testament, he curiously enough skipped Revelation. Today on Groundwork, we're going to begin digging into this curious and apocalyptic book. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is the first of a planned six-part series on the Bible's final book, the book of Revelation. In our next program, the second one, we're going to be joined by a guest, Dr. Jeff Wyma, who will walk us through the letters or the sermons to the seven churches. But just in general, in these six episodes, we, we really hope to cover the breadth of this rather large and interesting book. I cannot wait until we have Dr. Wyma on. It's going to be amazing. He teaches this stuff. He preaches it. He wrote a book about it. And it's going to be exciting to hear him dig into Scripture. And today, we're actually excited to begin this Scripture. And we're going to pick right up here in Revelation chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. This is the only book that I know in the Bible that says you're blessed for just reading it and hearing it. Exactly. So as we get rolling on this uh, book, though, it's just a little preliminary background. The Greek title of this book, Daryl, is Apocalypsis. Uh, and you can hear in that already, that's where we get our English word apocalypse. Now, today, when most people hear the word apocalypse, we associate it with events associated maybe with the end of history. In fact, years ago in the original version of a movie called Ghostbusters, uh, there's a large rash of ghost sightings in New York City. And at one point, uh, the, the Ghostbusters tell the mayor of New York City that they think that this is all tying in with the event of what they call biblical proportions. <laughs> and when the mayor says, what do you mean biblical proportions? They say, well, real Old Testament wrath of God stuff, you know, fire and brimstone coming down from the sky, seas and rivers boiling, 40 years of darkness, earthquakes and volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifices, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Okay, so this wasn't a religious movie, and the dogs and cats part was just funny. But, you know, Daryl, the rest of that stuff, it is in the Bible. When people hear the revelation of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, I hear people saying revelations. Right. And I think that they, we just need to remember that this is all one revelation, even though there's many things going on. And the very fact that there's a lot of images and when they hear the word apocalypse, you hear in pop culture that word apocalypse and people infuse many different things. But we can set the record straight on what it really means based on what the Greek translation is. Yeah, we think apocalypse is, you know, a meteor striking the earth, something horrible, something terrible, something catastrophic. But in Greek, apocalypsis just means revealing, the revelation. That's why we call it revelation in English. It is the revealing, the unveiling of something. And in this book, God is unveiling something, revealing something to this man named John. John's going to see what's going on in heaven right now. And he will see things that will be true for the course of history, however long history goes. So it is a, a revelation, and apocalyptic things are not scary things. God is going to reveal good things. 
So when I taught this in middle school youth group, I would have a plate and I would have a you know napkin right. covering the plate and then explain that revelation is basically removing the napkin so they can see what is under there. It's a good and valuable thing. And God is revealing it. And in our Reformed theology, you know this, Scott, we can't know anything unless God reveals it to right. us. So he is actually revealing what is going to happen and what is going to take place to his apostle John, the only apostle that was not martyred. He was alive to be able to get this vision. And now we're being encouraged by it. But sometimes we get nervous, we get upset, we get afraid and anxious when we see all the images going on. But this was designed to be a word of comfort to us from John the Apostle's uh, revelation from Jesus Christ. There has been some question in scholarly circles. Is this John the Apostle, as you just said, Daryl, or is John of Patmos somebody different? For the sake of this series, we're just going to just call him John. But there is certainly some evidence, uh, and uh, Dr. Weimar will actually mention this in the next program, too, uh, that this is the same John who wrote the gospel and three epistles in the New Testament. But let's uh, go back, uh, Daryl, to Revelation 1 and just hear how this John introduces himself. So picking up at verse nine, it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. So it's not said directly here, but uh, John here, Daryl, more or less says he's been exiled to Patmos. He's here because of God, the, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, the Roman Empire exiled him. They didn't like his preaching, so to shut him up, they sent him away to an island. Here's the great irony, the delicious irony, uh, Daryl. You can't shut up God. The Romans didn't know that. You can't throw John out of the reach of God. So they, they threw John uh, far away so that God couldn't talk to him and he couldn't talk. And guess what happened on the island of Patmos? God made John his megaphone after all. You got to kind of love that, God doing an end run on the persecution of his church. And maybe the Greco-Roman people believed because their gods were localized to different mm. cities and different <laughs> right. locations that they thought, okay, well, this God they're talking about, he's just like one of ours. So he's literally localized. His jurisdiction ends and he can't be in uh, Patmos. But what they understand now <laughs> and what we understand now is that God is everywhere. And we've always known his omnipresence is there. And he uses this to even overwhelm John with this vision. And he can speak anywhere. That's exactly right. He will get this message across. The seven churches that you read just a minute ago, Ephesus and Smyrna and the rest, they are specifically addressed in seven letters, or probably we could actually call them messages or sermons, to these seven churches, uh, which we believe were real churches uh, at that time. They also stand for all churches and all congregations. So in Revelation 2 and 3, in the next program of this series, we will unpack those specific letters. But right, as you said, for now, John uh, is definitely not beyond the reach of God and of Jesus and of his Holy Spirit, because here on this remote island, God is going to show John things no one has ever before seen. And, uh, you know, Daryl, in Psalm 2, we get this reference that, you know, the nations conspire, and they make all their plans, and God in heaven laughs. Yeah. I got to kind of think God had a laugh here a little bit, you know, that the Romans tried to uh, make John deaf uh, to God by, as you said, maybe, maybe if he moves far enough away, God won't find him. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's not how the God of Israel and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ operates. But uh, in just a minute, Dara, we're going to dig into some of the very first specific things that were apocalypsed, that were revealed to John. So stay tuned. Have you ever noticed how connected the teachings of Jesus are to the Proverbs? The wise sayings and general wisdom in Proverbs flow from the wisdom of God, made clear to us in the gift of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord and Savior. For the month of February, rediscover the book of Proverbs and reflect on some of the treasures it offers. This February, join today for a series of devotions by Jenna Fabiano titled, The Voice of Wisdom. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And let's get right back into Revelation chapter 1, Daryl, in this first of a six-part series on the Bible's final book, and listen to these words that open the book to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we see here, Scott, we have a greeting that comes from God and it is reminding us of who he is. It also reminds us of the believers who read this message that is revealed. It reminds us of who we are. It sounds familiar, doesn't it, Scott? Yeah. How many of us uh, in the tradition of the church, we begin with a greeting from God and we close with the benediction or parting blessing from God. And in a lot of churches down across the ages, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That blessing has opened so many worship services along the ages and around That's the world. It. It's really powerful because those words come directly from Scripture. Mm. And uh, what's really powerful to me as well is the fact that not only do we get the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in that greeting, but we get a revelation of who we are. Right. Because when Jesus was here walking on earth, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, we have citizens. And how do we become citizens? Well, that's in here too. By his blood, by his sacrifice, uh, by his atonement worked on the cross. And because of that, now uh, we are a kingdom and priests to serve God and God the Father through Jesus. So yeah, we are reminded that the kingdom of God has come through Jesus. It is still coming. This book will make clear. The full inbreaking of the kingdom won't come till the very end. But in the meanwhile, who are we? We're the people who have benefited from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so as kingdom citizens, we're called to live a certain way. I was thinking about how as believers, Jesus often encouraged us to live according to that kingdom, to be uh, the ones who the shalom comes through, to be the ones who the love and the peace and those things come All through. Right. And Paul in his letters usually starts with some sort of greeting like this, where he says, hey, look, remember who God is. Remember what he's done for you. In light of all of that, live this way. And so we're often encouraged to do that. And then we see that in this book, 
not only does it talk about what has happened, but it talks about the things that come and the end times. Right. So he has died. He did die. He has made us a kingdom and priests. Now, fast forward to the end of history when Christ will return on clouds of glory, just as Jesus predicted also, Daryl, in the Gospels. But the line here that always strikes me, it's almost a little bit of an ouch line here, is that when he returns, everybody will see him, even those who pierced him. Ooh. Even those who chalked Jesus up as a blasphemer and a pretender and an imposter and so killed him and crucified him, even the people who drove the nails, both physically and metaphorically, they're going to see him too, and they're going to realize they made a little mistake, uh, but not so little. So it's really interesting that he points out that everyone who hated him, everyone who lied on him will see him. And Paul picked that up when he's doing Philippians. Uh, chapter two, when mm. he says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So eventually we're going to all see the truth of who he is in all of his glory. And that is the part where Christians will become comforted. But those who didn't and those who opposed him, it's going to be kind of a rude awakening for them. Yeah. And then uh, we get those wonderful words that have rung down and echoed all through church history. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus is our A to Z. He's our beginning. He's our end and everything in between. He made the original creation. He will make the new creation that will become his kingdom. So Jesus is our everything. So John hears all this. Uh, He hears the speaking, and eventually he wants to know who's talking. So now we get this starting in Revelation 1 verse 12. He's going to turn around to see who's talking, and boy, what does he see? (laughs) I turned around to see who was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword." His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You know, Scott, when I hear you read that, I think about how the Bible usually does allusions and echoes in Mm -hmm. other places. I call them Easter eggs because you look and you find something that's a treasure. It's hidden in the allusions. And John often refers back to scriptures in the Old Testament and time periods. This one actually does remind me of Ezekiel uh, because Ezekiel struggles with this same kind of language to try to explain the magnificent glory that is blowing his mind. He says, it's like this. It's an image as, as that. It's like this. And he can't find the words to encapsulate what he is seeing. And John is doing that to try. He's struggling to explain the glory of what he sees. For a couple thousand years, artists have tried to capture this and maybe they've approximated it a little bit, but probably not. We're never quite going to know the mind-blowing, spine-tingling vision that John actually saw. But it is indeed amazing. It reminds me too, Daryl, of the transfiguration of Jesus uh, in the Gospels where um, Peter, James, and John uh, up on the Mount of Transfiguration were given a glimpse of this, that the humble carpenter's son from Nazareth really was this. And they saw it briefly in shining effulgence uh, in the transfiguration. And here we get the full Monty. This is who that humble carpenter's son was all along and is and always will be. He is the ultimate 
cosmic, almighty God. He holds all the power that ever was and that ever will be. You know, I think you could ponder what John saw for the rest of your days, and you'd, <laughs> you'd never quite get to the bottom of it. It's true, because I feel like the Word of God is often something that is inexhaustible, and we know that. But we also want to talk about, as we wrap up this program, what the implications are for us today. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. Let's get back into and dig into Revelation 1. And Daryl, now we get to the final words of this chapter. Picking up at verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Man, it seems like John was overwhelmed. He fell as though dead. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> he passed out. Yeah, I would. He fainted dead away, which we've seen before uh, in the Gospels when angels appear and so forth. John's brain short-circuited. Uh, he saw something that almost no mortal could endure. And yet, what I really like here, Daryl, is that despite all of this cosmic imagery and feet glowing like hot bronze and a sword out of his mouth, it's still the same tender Jesus that we saw on the dusty roads of Palestine in the Gospels, right? Uh, just like he did with uh, Peter, James, and John when they were stunned at the transfiguration, so here— Jesus just gently comes up and lays his hand on John. And John doesn't burst into flames as a result, right? He gently lays his hand and says, don't be afraid. That's just the Jesus we know and we love. All the resplendence doesn't take away his gentleness and his grace. So in this verse right here, we see two things that we talk about quite often when we're teaching God's word. We see the transcendence of God, mm. who is the almighty one, the alpha and omega, the first and the last. He is above us and other. But then we see the eminence and the intimacy of him touching the shoulder of John saying, hey, I'm still the Jesus, you know, and love. I'm still him. I'm still him. And don't worry. Don't be afraid. So he also reminds us in this passage that this powerful revelation is one of comfort. And I need, John, you to be comforted first. And just to further prove that there is continuity with that Jesus of the Gospels, he says, I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever." more. And that's a great summary of the good news right there, Daryl. Yeah. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forevermore. That's Easter. That's the, the truth of the resurrection message. right there. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And that's such good news, right? In our world, Daryl, death usually seems to have the last word. 
Here, Jesus is saying, well, no, not so fast. I have the last word, and the last word is going to be life. You know, we talked about, uh, is John of Patmos the same as John the Evangelist? And uh, a lot of people think they are the same. And and here's something that would argue for that again. What, what Jesus says here is so reminiscent of the opening of John's gospel. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that the darkness hasn't overcome it. It's actually the theme that starts this book of Revelation Mm. when Jesus says, I'm life. And he has the authority. And there's an old African song that says, who has the final say? Mm. And it says, Jehovah has the final say. And Jesus' name in this book is the amen, the last witness. And he will have the final say. So when you're discouraged, when you have challenges, remember that it's not over until God says it's over. And also the other thing that I'd like to point out is that Jesus talks about the seven churches And we will have an opportunity to get into that when Dr. Wyman comes. We're going to talk about the seven churches. But there is also the so what of what these passages mean for us, Scott. Right. One of the things we know is that um, although the name of my church might not be included in these seven of Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira and Laodicea, by implication, my church, your church, all churches are located here. This message comes to all of us. And so, you know, I think uh, if we look at the bottom line, the so what, Daryl, I think one of the things we see here is that what all of this means is that also today, we as Christians in the church, we are right to live with a profound hope. You know, I mean, the world is pretty challenging, Daryl. I mean, uh, you know, it reminds me of the old Beatles song, A Day in the Life. I read the news today. Oh, boy. The news is pretty depressing. It's easy to get distressed. It's easy to drop into despair because what we see around us is usually not encouraging. And yet Revelation is here to say, have hope, right? You should have profound hope. And time and time again over in Scripture, this isn't the only place where There are people talking to God about, hey, the world is broken and it seems like evil's winning. You know, in Psalm 37, we're reminded to fret not ourselves because of evildoers. And it looks like they're winning, but God eventually will address that situation with the appropriate justice, with the appropriate shalom. And that has not happened fully in the world that we currently live in. It's something that we lament and we look forward to. But we do serve a God who promises that he will address that situation in his wise time. And that's something that we hold on to is hope. And one of the things we're going to see in uh, probably the third episode of this series is that, again, as we said at the beginning of this program, Revelation, apocalypsis, it means the revealing of something. And one thing that's going to get revealed to John is what's going on in heaven right now. Not in the future, but John's going to see worship in the heavenly throne room right now. And it's God's way and Jesus' way of saying, look, don't just look around you. That can be pretty depressing. Look up. Right. Stuff's going on right now that is beyond normal human sight. Only the eyes of faith can glimpse it and maybe only fleetingly. But Jesus comes and says, look up. I'm your A to Z. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am your everything. Grace is everything. I am in charge. I got your back. And so that, I think, Daryl, is the enduring message of this sometimes strange-looking book. And yet that is the message for the seven churches to whom the book was originally addressed, but to the who knows how many, seven million churches today, I don't know, but it's still the, the, the message of hope and encouragement. 
And when John is told to look up, he's given a different perspective than the current situation that he's in. Remember, he's exiled. He's on the island of Patmos by himself. Mm -hmm. It could be a lonely and desolate place for him. But he is told to look up and see what is happening and gains a fresh perspective on that. That could be something that we could learn from to get God's perspective on our current situation and circumstance that would give us encouragement, strength and hope, knowing that we serve a God who's in control, who has not fell asleep at the wheel. That is not going to forget about us, but definitely is going to help us in our times of need. I think all of us as Christians have the experience that, like John, when we're lonely and alone and isolated, in the dark night of the soul, in the dark moment in the hospital room, sometimes that's when the Holy Spirit comes through and reminds us, I have your back. Surely I am with you always. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Join us again next time as we study Revelation 2 and 3, the messages John receives for the seven churches, and we'll discuss the meaning of those with our special guest, Jeff Wyman. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you. Make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.